Glorify yourself through the preaching of your word. Stop singing. That Thank song you. is for you. For all time. No. The song is for you. That's not for anyone. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church, a weekly Q&A podcast from The Gang, where every week Pastor Matt Brown is bringing real answers to tough questions from the Bible, and today you brought out the guns. You ready to go hard after these questions? Yeah, yeah. It was a, I think it was a challenging message. Um, I wish that I would have spoken more to non-believers who are present. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of, you know, after we... Uh, you know, shot the video. I was a little, I was a little discouraged. I didn't address non-believers because nothing that I talked about is for them. Mm-hmm. Um, we're here to serve them right. because we we love God, and so you know, I don't. I I feel a little bad that maybe a first time visitor came and you know heard. Oh my gosh, I got to give my life to all of this. When they don't, what they mm-hmm. need to do is come and see that it's good. They, they need to be loved by us, served right. by us, and we need to point them to Jesus. And then after you know, they find the pearl of great price, that's when you serve. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wish I would have made that more clear, but... I think you did a good job making a point at the beginning, though, about that Christians should look different. So almost for a non-Christian, they're like, oh, like, that's oh, what I should you. be looking for when I'm seeing Christians. They should look different from mm-hmm. the other people that are around. Yeah. No, that's our that's I, our friendly pal, Stephanie Keen, for yeah. those of you guys tuning in yeah, for the first time. Thanks, Stephanie. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. Excellent. Yeah, well, it was cool. It's good to switch it up and try something out. That was really cool. We did the uh, video message across all of our campuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really, really good, fun step. Well, we're going to debrief the sermon. We got some really interesting follow-up questions, some off-topic questions, all kinds of hard questions for you to bring some real answers to. But before that, Stephanie, you want to take care of some business? I sure do. Business. So this summer, we are going to be running some of our best of uh, topics on a couple of episodes over the summer. So we would love to hear from you, our debrief listeners, or what are some of your favorite things that we have covered here on the show. We're hoping to put those messages out there so that folks can listen in who've never listened to the show before, hear what we're about, really you know, pick and choose from some of the best stuff we've ever done on here. So for every single person who is sending us in a best of topic, we will love to give you one of our free Free debrief mugs. Debr- they're not, by the way, they're not, they're not free. free. They'll be free to you They'll under these circumstances. So we will find so it's w- our gift to you when we put your question on the or your suggested past question. Mm. Yes, is that how it is. So sure. tell us past an episode question and answer. Yes. Yeah, tell us tell us the episode. Tell us Pastor Matt's favorite question and answer. Mm-hmm. Tell us when it is. Yeah, we'll probably we'll on the show. It if it's a good we'll one. get you a mug. It's gonna be great. So. Boom. Uh, stay tuned for those. You can just send those in by going to debrief.show and just hit send a question, or you can do it by sending us a message on Facebook. We will take those however you find a way to send them to us. That's not the only sweet hookup you're offering people. Oh, that's right. The other thing that I am offering is that we are looking for folks to join our team here on the debrief. Starting in May, we've got some, well, I guess it's May now, actually. We are going to be doing some really cool stuff to really promote the debrief here at Sandals Church to all of our locations. And I'm looking for people to join our team to help people get signed up for the show, learn how to subscribe to it. And so we want a whole team that's covering every single campus. We are getting some really, really, really cool shirts made. I just met with our uh, creative team to talk through what those are going to look like. Mm-hmm. You are going to want one of these shirts. So if you are interested in signing up for the team, getting one of those exclusive volunteer shirts, go to move.sc slash debrief team, and we will get you hooked up and on the team. 
All right, let's do it. You ready to jump in and bring some questions? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, here we go. This question comes from Krista. She says, I have brought a friend with me to the Hunter Park campus for church on Sunday a few times. He loves the messages, but says Sandals Church is too big for him and he doesn't feel connected. I've encouraged him to join a small group and to keep coming, even if the church being so big makes him uncomfortable. But what should I tell him or any of my other friends that say our church is too big for them? Yeah, I mean, that's just the reality. The church has grown. Um, And so here's what I would encourage you to say is, God's church is big. It's mm-hmm. really, really big. And any church, regardless of size, if it's healthy, it's growing. Mm-hmm. If it's not healthy, it's not growing. Healthy things grow. God's church grows. And so the sad thing is, is that what people say is, I want a smaller church. And so what that means is they have to go to an unhealthy church because a healthy church, even if it's small when you attend, will grow. And I've seen over the years, people have left sandals because they say it's growing, it's changing. And and that's what God calls us to do. So um, I, I don't think that, um, you know, you, you know, you have to be, you have to say that the the size is the most important thing. What I would say is the movement of God is the most important thing. And so you want to go to a place where God is moving. And so that's what I would encourage your friend. However, if it is too big, then you can commute to one of our other campuses that are mm-hmm. much, much smaller. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, we have our East Valley campus that runs about, you know, 500 people. We have Moreno Valley uh, that's now running about 500. We have our Woodcrest campus that's about a thousand. And then we have the Hunter Park campus that's about 7,000. So, um, you know, that, that's what we have. We have the Montclair pop-up site, which mm-hmm. is about a hundred people. So yeah. there's all kinds of options available to you so that you can have smaller community and recognize more people. But the problem is you have to deal with the spiritual issue yep. because we exist to reach the lost. We exist to meet people where they are. And so my job is to know a lot about God and know a lot about people and bring them together. That's what I believe the purpose of a pastor is. I think a lot of pastors know a lot about God. They don't know a lot about people and they don't know how to connect those two. And that's what I see my, my job as. And and so I just would encourage you, you know, at Sandals Church, the church is only big if you're not in a community group and you're not serving on a team. Mm-hmm. If you're serving on a team and you're in a group, the church is as small as perhaps 10 to 20 people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reality. And so a lot of people want community, but they don't want to serve the community and they don't want to invest in the community. And so if you do those two things, it doesn't matter if Sandals Church is 100,000 people, you're going to know a small group and you're going to be connected. And here's the truth. Even in a small church, a church of less than 100, you're not going to know everybody intimately. You're going to know 10 to 20 people. Well, guess what? That doesn't change based upon the size of the church. At Sandals, you're going to know about 10 to 20 people, and that's fantastic. And so I, I would just encourage you to do that. I don't know everybody. You know, the church is uncomfortable for me, but it's not about me. And that's what we said in the message, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus wants to make us uncomfortable. And if you're not willing to be uncomfortable, you're going to have a hard time following Jesus. And so, you know, the biggest church I grew up in as a kid, I think we maxed out maybe at 200 people on Easter. Yeah. That's, that, that is the largest thing I ever experienced growing up as a kid. Uh, Sandals, you know, our, our staff and their families is larger than that. So, you know, it's an adjustment, but God has called us to adjust. God has called me to figure out what I need to do to serve him and to connect with him. And so that's what I would encourage him. And at the end of the day, sandals isn't for everybody. You gotta mm-hmm. let them go and invite friends, invite people who do like it and who do love it. And usually who that is, it's lost people who are far from God, who have no expectations of church. Mm-hmm. Church people have all kinds of expectations and they put Jesus in a box of what they think he needs to look like. And it's not based at all upon who Jesus is. It's based upon what their church experience is. Yeah. And so we assume that our church experience, what we've, what we're used to is what God wants. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. You know, and so, you know, we have church people who come in and Sandals is 
very, very different. And that's very, very hard to, for them because they have expectations. Mm-hmm. And so lost people don't have any expectations. They don't know what church is. They don't know what church is about. Those people love Sandals Church and that's who we're trying to reach. We're not trying to recruit Christians from other churches. We exist to reach people who are far from God and who are not in church. That's why we're here, to help them become real with themselves, God, and others. Uh, because a lot of church people don't want to be real. They want things to stay the same. And mm-hmm. that, that, is, that means you're not real. Mm-hmm. If you want everything to stay the same and nothing to ever change, you're trapped and you're, you're never going to move forward. So, you know, I would just encourage, just love them and let them move on. You know, there's lots of great churches in the city. Again, you know, I think there's a theological issue here healthy things grow. God wants his church to grow. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I've taught you. It's a commission to grow. We are commanded to grow. Small is not a part of Jesus's plan. Mm -hmm. It's not a part of his plan. Look at Acts chapter six. The church is growing, which creates problems, which means they have to change their strategy. So they have to adjust because so many people are coming to Christ. Many, many Christians would feel very uncomfortable in the early church because it grew so fast. But that is the natural, normal part of an explosive encounter with Christ Mm -hmm. and the power of the Holy Spirit. Healthy things grow. And so your church doesn't have to be as big as Sandals Church uh, because there's different levels of abilities and talents that God's given, but every church should be growing. And if it's not, it's unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And, And you need to deal with that. You need to deal with that very, very quickly. Otherwise, your church is going to die. So I think it's a great question. And just know there are thousands of churches in America today that are unhealthy and that are dying and they're closing their doors and it is tragic. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be held accountable for two things. Number one, for not addressing the sickness. And number two, for sitting on millions of dollars worth of property that they are wasting. They're wasting, Mm -hmm. okay? So you got eight people that gather together in a church with a facility that's $5 million dollars. Right? I mean, think about it. We spent $3 million for a worship center that holds 2,400 people. Mm -hmm. And we did that because we want to make sure that every dollar that we raise is is spent correctly. Mm -hmm. Like we we were going to be held accountable to God for how we spent our money, just like you're going to be held accountable for God for what you gave to the building of his kingdom versus what you gave for the building of your house or your home or your livelihood or your vacations or or whatever, right? I mean, we're going to stand before God and we're going to be held accountable for that. So, we do our very, very best to make sure that every dollar that is spent um, is spent you know, appropriately. That's why most of our facilities are in tilt-up buildings mm-hmm. because that's the cheapest way, most economical way to build a church. You know, we're not lavish. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't look like uh, TBN. You know, we, mm-hmm. don't, we don't look like a Roman Catholic church where it's literally, I mean, um, you know, I forgot what they spent at the Catholic church down in Los Angeles. It was oh, hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars for one building mm-hmm. and... I, I just think that, you know, that's that's not an appropriate use of God's funds. So um, just know that, that the church, that there's a reckoning that's coming and Jesus Christ is going to return. And here's what he's going to hold his church accountable for. They cared more about keeping things the same than they cared about reaching the lost. Mm-hmm. And that is sin. When you care more about the church not changing uh, than you do about changing the lives of lost people, you are going to stand before God. I'm not saying we should change our theology. I'm saying we need to change our approach. We need to change our strategy. If it's not working, do something different. Mm-hmm. And um, you need to do that. And, and it's tragic and it's sad. And I have watched here in Riverside churches with more resources, more people, more history, more of everything than us. And we mm-hmm. have outgrown them all. Mm-hmm. Why? 
because we've been passionate about reaching the lost. Mm -hmm. That has been the number one thing that we've done. We have not compromised on that. And guess what? We feed a lot of those dying churches with people who get turned off to reaching Mm -hmm. lost people and they go there. And guess what? They go there and that church still doesn't grow Mm -hmm. because they don't wanna grow. What they want is all their friends and that's it. And they don't want things to change. Look, we have to want what God wants. We have to love what Jesus loves and Jesus loves lost people. The parable of the lost sheep. He leaves the 99 to go find the one. Mm Okay, sometimes that makes the 99 uncomfortable, but God values the one. And so we have the reverse. We have the one, two, or three that won't leave their own agenda so that, you know, and you got the 99. I mean, 70% of the people in Riverside and its surrounding cities do not attend church, do not know Jesus Christ, are are going to go to hell. And that should bother us. Mm -hmm. That should bother us. Instead of talking about, oh, I feel like Sandals Church is too big. Really, it's not big enough. Mm -hmm. There's not enough Sandals Churches. There's not enough locations for people to plug in and learn about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's the tragedy. And, And listen to me, if you're listening to this, the second you care more about how big the church is versus how many people are lost, you're in trouble. You are headed down the wrong road. That is the path of selfishness. And I get it, man, I get it. I, I met somebody this week uh, who told me they came to Sandals Church on Easter weekend and they said, I'll never come again. And I thought, how sad. Mm-hmm. And the reason they don't ever wanna come again is because of the crowds. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, man, you know, what did Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus found a tree, yeah, like, whatever it took. So our people are like, oh my gosh, I can't sit in an air conditioned building and watch it live, I'm out. Zacchaeus is like, I'm gonna crawl a freaking tree and I'm an older man, you know, who's wealthy and everyone's gonna shame me for what I did, but I gotta see Jesus. I gotta encounter Jesus. And Jesus is with us in the church. He is present with us in the church in a unique way, in a powerful way. And listen to me guys, 586 people made their first decision mm-hmm. to begin following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Think about that. And if that doesn't motivate you, maybe God isn't driving your heart. Maybe something else is. And so you got to look at yourself and say, okay, I got to check myself. I got to look at myself. If I'm not excited about 586 people giving their lives to Christ, what's it going to take? What is it going to take, man? Um, Dude, it's a good thing we got these microphones strapped down uh, to the table here because you could have dropped it like 15 times there. I know. Well, here's here's one of the things I think too. Uh, the way Krista's friend feels when attending the Hunter Park, camp, Park campus is part of the reason I think the Who We Are series you're leading us through right now is so important because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have some incredible volunteers on our guest services team serving as ushers and greeters. They have a fantastic plan for how to make people who show up for the first time in our big old 2,400-person auditorium like they have a, plan, a really great plan to how to make that feel smaller, how to help people feel known and connected when they show up amidst all these people. They can't even get started working on that plan until they have enough other consistent ushers and greeters serving alongside them so they they can begin shifting their focus on the next level of things, which is why we're trying to get more people to uh, serve on the team here on the weekends. Yeah, so, absolutely. So that's all going to happen. Yeah. yeah, so the church is as small as your small group and your service team. That's how small it is. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? You know, um, that, that, that's the challenge. You have to be willing to work for intimacy within the church. And the same thing is true at a small church. You can go in a small church and be ignored and not be real. Mm-hmm. It's not the size that determines the intimacy. It's your intensity of, about relationships that determines intimacy. And so you have to press forward and say, I'm gonna be intentional about, thank you very much. I'm, I'm gonna be intentional about pressing into relationship because you can be lost in a small crowd. And, right. and I've been there. If this is your first time tuning in, we've got the tweet of L that we are experimenting with. When Pastor Matt says some really great stuff, we uh, 
hit that bell. Yeah, it just makes me wonder what I just said. Okay, stop singing. Ring that bell. I need you to stop singing. All right, we're going to move on. (laughs) This next question comes in from Ezekiel, and he says... Are you done? I was whispering while you... Uh, you no, keep I, going. we heard you. You stopped, and I was going to... I know. That was a little treat for the listeners. That was... Okay. And you brought it out to public. Sorry. It's all right. Okay, all right. just FYI, you had surgery last week, and I think there may still be some pain medication yeah, some in your lingering, system. some lingering uh, narcotics Some lingering in there. narcotics. I feel great, guys. Exactly. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> oh, so Ezekiel says, in the last episode I listened to, you mentioned your grandmother had recently passed away, and now she's reunited with her husband in heaven. One of my biggest issues with Christianity are assumptions. And as someone who's grown up in church culture, I feel like Christians make a lot of assumptions about what the afterlife looks like. In my opinion, the Bible only provides analogies, but we don't really know what the afterlife is like. How can we really know what the afterlife and heaven and hell are really like? Yeah, Ezekiel, thanks for your question. And so, um, you know, I I think you're absolutely right. Um, Many people make a lot of assumptions and those things are not based upon biblical facts. My assumptions are always based upon biblical facts. The apostle Paul says to be absent from the Lord is, excuse me, to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. So my grandfather gave his life to Christ in 1955, served as a deacon in his church, helped found it and plant two churches. My grandmother also gave her life to Christ uh, and was a big time believer. They both have died. They both are absent and they are both in the presence of the Lord. My assumption, which you're correct, because the Bible does not speak to this, my assumption is that Easter is a fairly significant holiday in heaven. Okay. Uh, why? Because yeah. that's why everybody's there. <laughs> so, right? I mean, it's the reason everybody is in heaven. So I feel like it's an appropriate assumption to make that the saints in heaven celebrate with Jesus in the presence of God. And my grandma and grandfather are together because they are both in Christ, they are both absent from their bodies, and they are now in the presence of the Lord. I feel like that's a healthy assumption. So Ezekiel, my encouragement to you would be to really, really be careful. The Bible says that knowledge puffs up. So as you learn, as you learn more, you have to make sure that as your knowledge for God grows, your love for people grows. And if your love for people doesn't grow at the same rate that your knowledge of God's word grows, you're going to become prideful and you're going to become distracted by what you assume to be um, things that are not consistent with scripture. So we got to make sure that we give grace, that we can think around what's being said. And and I think that what I said was a fairly safe assumption. Um, So having said that, uh, you know, we can do a whole episode on life after death and I, I would love to talk about that. But the assumption was based upon what the Bible says about Paul, who went to the third heaven, right? The Bible says that he's already been to heaven. Um, he doesn't know whether he was there in, in in reality or not reality, but he wrote about it in scripture. Mm-hmm. And I'm trusting that uh, he had a legitimate real experience and that's based upon scripture. So he knows what's up there. He's seen what happened there. And his, his belief and his conviction is that to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And that's why he was torn. He was torn between staying here or dying because both would be advantageous. If he stayed, it was advantageous to us. If he left, it was advantageous to him. Mm-hmm. And so so that's the assumption. Ezekiel, thanks for listening. Again, keep learning, don't get critical. I, I've seen this over and over again. As soon as people become students of scripture, they develop a critical attitude. And we have to be very, very careful that as our knowledge of God grows, our love and grace for people grows. Mm-hmm. So um, those are the two tensions as we move forward in education. I've seen many, many young men and women become students of the Bible and become hypercritical, hypernegative. And the next thing you know, you got a blog and you're all alone and no church is good enough and you're outside of the will of God. Mm. So, I mean, the moment you become too good for the church, you got problems. Mm. So Ezekiel, maybe my assumptions about you are, are incorrect, but keep listening. Thank you for your questions. Appreciate it.
Okay, so Julia writes in with a question about Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, where Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Julie asks, what does this mean? Yeah, so Julie, this is a really, really tough uh, text to understand. Um, you know, uh, loosed is uh, just a weird Greek word that, that is used mm -hmm. in, in English. So it means release. Whatever you release on earth will be released in heaven. And so the idea here is, is that uh, the church has authority. And so what happens here is the church does not have all authority. Specifically in Matthew 18, it is referencing church discipline. So what's, what's happening here is relational sin. So if someone has sinned against you or you've sinned against them, first you go to the person mm -hmm. and you try to work it out between yourselves. If that doesn't work, you bring somebody else. If the person is still unrepentant and unwilling to change or if the issue is unresolvable, then you bring the issue to the church. And the church is ruling on the issue. God backs. So the church is supposed to pray. The church is supposed to work through the issue. And whatever decision the church ultimately comes to, the assumption is that they have processed this through the power of the Holy Spirit and in agreement with Scripture and if they release somebody from the church, if they kick somebody out from the church, they're kicked out. If they're welcomed in, then they're welcomed in. And so that is the final decision. And so really what it's talking about is trusting church leadership, trusting church authority, and trusting that the spirit of God is moving through people. What it doesn't mean is that we have carte blanche authority to run around saying some people are forgiven, some are not. What it means is we work through a process where we work with the Holy Spirit, where we work with Jesus, because it says wherever two or more are present, uh, in his name, he is there also. So mm -hmm. he is with us in this process of discipline. And um, we, need to, we, we, need to, we need to do this together. And it's not the decision of one person. It's the decision of many. And, um, you know, I can only think of two occasions where I have told in 20 years where I have kicked someone out of the church. Um, and that is something that is very, very difficult to work through and process but I had to do it because I felt like it was the right thing to do. We had predators in the church and they were not welcome here and we needed to ask them to leave. And, and people you know, disagreed with that and thought that I wasn't showing grace. What I, well, my job as the shepherd is to protect the sheep. And I thought these people were dangerous for our church and it was important to side with those who had been victims of their sins. And I chose to do that. So mm -hmm. um, you know, oftentimes our society is interested in being compassionate to the criminal, which we should be but we are not very compassionate to the victim. Mm -hmm. And uh, as, as a church, as a pastor, I wanna make sure that I shepherd those who have been wounded and protect them from being sinned against again. And so I did that. So that's what the text means is that, um, that the authority of the church is with God, but the assumption is that the church is with God. Mm -hmm. So if you have a rogue church, this text does not apply because you have churches that are, that are moronic, that are stupid. You have leaders that uh, consider themselves apostles and they act alone and they say egregious awful, sinful, ridiculously unbiblical things. And, and, and that's, just, that's just not the case. And so don't assume that every religious or even Christian leader speaks for God. We need to do this in process, in relationship. So for example, at Sandals Church, we have a relational structure that exists of four bodies, pastors, our, our board, um, our strategic leadership team, and our ministers. And those groups work together to push forward the vision and strategy and structure of our church. We work together. We don't work separate from each other, but we work in concert with each other. Now I'm the leader of those four groups, but I don't just get to do like whatever I think. I'm a part of them, I submit to them, and yet also lead them. And it's it's a biblical structure. We think it's important to have one leader, but we think it's important for a leader to be in relational accountability and to be in 
relationship. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're trying to move forward in that. So that's what that text means. It, it's in regards really to church discipline and the establishment of what do you do with someone who has to be kicked out or someone who has to be disciplined. I mean, the apostle Paul actually says, hand a church member over to Satan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he actually says that. So in the book of Corinthians. So the church has that authority. I mean, what do you do with evil, unrepentant people in the church? They're not a part of the church of God. Mm-hmm. They're not a part of the family of God. Uh, you know, Revelation calls them the synagogue of Satan. You hand them over that. They don't worship Jesus. They worship Satan. And so you hand them over to that. You say, okay, you are now outside of the realm of Christ's grace. You are on your own. You are excluded from fellowship. Now, this is something historically that's been abused and it's never handled perfectly, right? The church is not perfect. So, um, but Jesus is basically empowering the church. And so you got to understand that the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. And this is why it's so disgusting that people run around calling themselves followers of Jesus and they're not following Jesus when the context of a local church. They are an aberration. It's a cancer within Christianity. It is not a part of the church of God that Christ, you know, established. So many people think they need Jesus. Jesus thinks you need Jesus people, okay? It's not good for man to be alone. Genesis chapter one. We're not created to be alone. Um, You know, uh, what is it? Uh, Oh, my mind's going blank right now. Ecclesiastes 4, 8. You know, oh. a, a person alone can be attacked. Mm-hmm. Two standing back to back are better. Three standing together even are even better than that because mm-hmm. a three-fold cord is not easily broken. And so the idea is that together with each other and with God, we are stronger than we are alone. And so what the devil tries to do is get us alone, get us on our own and isolate us so that he can destroy us. And what we need to do is understand that there is power, not just in the name of Jesus, but there is power in the gathered church. The gathered church is a powerful thing. Uh, I was really, really moved. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago on Palm Sunday, uh, two Coptic churches were mm-hmm. bombed. I posted on my tri- Twitter the next Sunday, Easter Sunday morning. They didn't have enough room in those churches. Mm-hmm. That li- literally there were people, you thought Sandals was crowded. People were packed out into the streets. The gathered church in Egypt, as a minority, said, we are not afraid. Mm-hmm. And they made a statement to terrorism. They made a statement to fear. You will not destroy our worship. And I thought it was pretty powerful. I actually cried. You, if you follow me on Twitter at Pastor Matt Brown, um, you, you got to see this picture. It'll, it will move you. Mm-hmm. They gathered peacefully. That's what the church is supposed to do. They didn't go get guns and they didn't kill people. They gathered and said, we are here and you will not move us. I thought it was really, really powerful. Um, so the gathered church is powerful. An individual believer is weak. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it's why Paul in prison always is saying, I hope to be with you. I long to be with you. You know, he doesn't He doesn't relish being in prison and isolated. He wants to be with the church. Mm-hmm. Even Jesus, right? In Gethsemane, what does he say? Pray with me. Mm. Stay awake and pray with me. Mm-hmm. If Jesus thought he needed community, right. what does that say about you? Yeah, totally. Right? It's uh, Ecclesiastes 412. 412. Oh. So close. And man, we're making really good progress here. Stephanie, let's do one more of these off-topic questions. Let's yeah. fit it in. I feel like my spiritual gift is almost getting the right verse. <laughs> Two episodes in a row. Normally you got it though. Normally you're right there. (laughs) All right. So Amanda's group uh, sent in a question together. Amanda sent in a question on behalf of her group um, because they were asking, why did God ask the Jews to circumcise their sons? We discussed as a group how God wanted to separate the Jews from non-believers, but why do you think God asked the Jews to do something such as circumcision to differentiate themselves from others? Amanda, great question. And uh, I would encourage you guys all to be praying for my book that will be coming out next year. And it is called Sex Drive. So it's a great book. 
And uh, the idea is Divine Instructions for a World Driven by Sex. And so that's the book that's coming out. And one of the things I'm going to talk about is why circumcision is so important to understanding mm. our relationship with God. And, um, you know, spoiler alert, you know, here's what I'm going to talk about is that our sex drive is one of the most basic drives we have as human beings. So mm-hmm. uh, a human being is born with a drive for uh, love, comfort, shelter, protection, food. And then as we hit puberty, we have a drive for sexual intimacy. So as adults, I mean, um, your sex drive can become so powerful that it causes you to be reckless even to your own physical danger. Mm -hmm. That's how powerful your sex drive can be. So what is God saying when he tells Abraham, you're gonna follow me and I'm gonna cut the tip of your penis off? I literally think God is saying, I need you to get the point. Your drive for me, I didn't mean that to be funny. I meant it to be powerful. Well, I had to. Oh, well. Your drive for me must be greater than your drive for sex, mm-hmm. right? So what is the great commandment? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your intensity for God must be number one. And so as men, right, we can get fairly stupid mm-hmm. uh, following our genitalia rather than our faith. And so God is saying, I must come first, even over your sex drive. And I think that's why God chose that as the symbol for his people. Mm-hmm. because you will not just follow um, your sexual desires. And, and and what is God's greatest enemy in the Old Testament? It's the God of Baal. Um, and, uh, oh, what is the other one? Oh, my mind just went blank. Who does Ahab fight on the on, on Mount Carmel? It's it's the prophets of Baal and the prophets of... Mm. Uh, man, sorry, guys. I should know this. It, it is... It's it, it means penis. It's a pole. Yeah. Uh, Ashereth. Ashereth. Jeez. Woo, there we go. Prophets of Ashereth and Baal. So, right. right, And so think about that. That's who he's battling. Well, why would you worship an erect penis? Because you worship your sex drive, which is what we do in our culture, right? God wouldn't have made me this way if he didn't want me to follow these desires. Uh, Read the Bible. God wants to curb those desires and he wants to create in you a greater desire for him. And so the battle on Mount Carmel is a battle over will Israel serve God or will they serve sex? That is the battle. Hmm. And so, you know, the Baal prophets and the Asherah poles always had male and female prostitution as an act of worship. So what was it? It was, it was a sex cult. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the nemesis, the continual nemesis of the people of Israel over and over and over and over again. So that's why... When we get, you know, uh, when we get uh, Jesus' teachings into a Gentile culture that is completely overrun with sexuality, we see so much about sexual purity. So many verses about don't practice homosexuality. So many verses about don't practice fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. Don't practice pornea, which is where we get our English word porn. Mm -hmm. Don't practice sexual immorality, but stay focused. God's will and plan for your life is you are going to have sexual desires that are beyond, listen to me, everyone is going to have sexual desires that is beyond a sexual relationship with one man and one woman for life. So I may never have a sexual uh, desire for a man, but I'm gonna have sexual desires for a woman other than my wife. So my my calling as a Christian man is to be content in my relationship with my wife as I follow God and trust his plan, not my desires. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult. And the same if you're a, a, a gay Christian, you have to trust God's plan for your sexuality, not your desires for mm-hmm. sexuality. And uh, and again, if you're if you're not uh, a Christian and you're gay, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people who who call upon the name of Christ. And I know there are some Christians who say you can express yourself sexually um, as a gay Christian. That's not in the Bible. That that is something that has been decided outside of the Bible, and they have had to turn verses into pretzels mm-hmm. to try to come up with that 
meaning and that interpretation. And, and there are churches that will teach that. I, I'm telling you, as someone who loves you and cares about you, that's not in the text. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, we, we actually have two really great questions that are follow-ups from episode 58 when we talked about uh, sex and dating. And listen, here you go. Ian writes in and says, in this episode, you address the issue of homosexuality and explain that being gay isn't inherently a sin, but the acts of homosexuality are. You said that it's similar to how it's not inherently a sin to be straight, uh, but acting on your heterosexual desires outside of a godly marriage is. So he says, my gay non-Christian friends have argued that if that's the case, then a non-sexual dating relationship between two people of the same gender should be okay. How can I explain to them why it's not, or is it? Even though they're not Christians, they believe, based on articles they've read on the internet, that the Bible does allow for homosexual relationships. No, it does not. Mm -hmm. So sexual sin uh, is an exaggeration or diminishment of something good. Mm -hmm. So homosexuality is an exaggeration of genuine love and affection that should be expressed between men. So the Bible says that David and Jonathan, two characters in the Old Testament, uh, Jonathan's father was the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, Saul, uh, but he loved David more than a brother. They loved each other. They did not have a gay relationship. They loved each other and they were dedicated to each other. I think about my relationship with uh, our uh, executive pastor, Dan Zambardi. I love that guy. Man, Mm -hmm. I love that guy. I appreciate him. I feel like we have a real relationship. I feel like we have a deep relationship. We don't have a sexual relationship. We don't desire a sexual relationship. That's not who we are. Uh, If there was a sexual relationship, it is an exaggeration of something good. We have gone beyond what is healthy and appropriate. Just like uh, at Sandals, um, if I meet a, 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 a woman that works for me at church and we have a natural affection for each other, we love each other, we care for each other, that's healthy and that's fine. When it turns into something sexual with an intent, which dating is intent, right? Mm-hmm. right? Say, saying we're going to be in a relationship is an intent. And oh, by the way, you know, let me let me call you know bullcrap. Two dudes are, are not going to you know be, be sexually you yeah. know pure in that area because right. uh, guys don't historic aren't historically the one that says no. Yeah. So I was wondering if there is such a thing as a non-sexual dating relationship. Okay, let's just. What I've learned is there's all kinds of things out there, and so you can't you can't. There's no stereotype that fits all situations. Sure, so so sure. maybe this is some kind of weird random relationship. Okay, but that's not normal. And so, you know, uh, and by normal, I mean normative. I don't mean, you know, I'm I'm not trying to be critical in that way. I'm just saying most guys that pursue each other for a relationship uh, in that way want to have sex at some point. That is the normative behavior of two guys pursuing each other sexually. Um, It would be abnormal for them to want to pursue each other, but not have a sexual relationship. And I think it would set you up for temptation as a Christian. You know, they're not Christians. I would just encourage them to pursue Jesus. Quit talking about homosexuality and say, pursue Jesus. I mean, there's no sense in talking about what they can't do until they find out what they can do in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so so we just we just need to stop, ha- stop having these conversations with non-Christians because it's not beneficial. It makes no sense unless you have the spirit of God living inside you. And so, um, you know, as Americans, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, of heaven, and we are citizens of America. And we have to learn to live in both worlds. Mm -hmm. We have to. So as citizens of heaven, we are called to a different moral, social ethic. Mm -hmm. And so as American citizens, we have to learn how to share that moral ethic in a way that's not judgmental, in a way that is not hypercritical, in a way that doesn't drive people away, but in a way that invites them in. And, um, you know, there are many, many gay people. Um, there's uh, one guy I just talked to this weekend. We're going to have coffee. We're going to meet and connect. And he's a, he's a young gay man. Uh, and, and we're going to connect. And he wants to figure out, okay, what are the next steps in my life? How do I move forward in this relationship? And we got lots of guys and gals 
that are like that at our church and they're welcome here and we love them. Um, and you know, from time to time, we even have gay couples that are here and I don't want them to leave and I don't want to run them off. I want them to feel welcome, meet Jesus. And at, at some point, right, as they're following Jesus, decide, okay, am I going to pursue this faith and agree with Sandals Church and their understanding or am I gonna go my own way? But they need to fall in love with Jesus first. Jesus allows people to be followers all the time and then they check out all the time, right? He's got all kinds of people and then he gets that weird sermon, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no <laughs> part of me. And everyone's like, uh, okay, that's a little weird. Well, and yeah. they all, they all yeah. bail. Bye. But the disciples didn't bail. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, that was a little weird, Jesus, but um, you alone have words that lead to eternal life. So, Can I see if I can summarize what you just said? Please. Number one, don't press this issue with non-Christians. No. And number two, if it wa- if these guys were Christians, the primary problem in that would be the temptation for sexual sin would be yeah. really, really strong. So it's foolish to put themselves in that context. Yeah. So we believe that gay marriage for a born-again Christian is not glorifying to God. Mm-hmm. It does not glorify God. Matter of fact, it falls short of the glory of God, which is sin. So you're missing out on God's ideal plan for your life. And and by the way, we said it over and over again, God's plan for your life is not sexual intimacy. God's plan for your life is intimacy with him. That's what you're designed for. That's what you're created for. Paul says the body was not designed for sexual immorality, but it was designed for God, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, 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 so think about that and, and trust that. And again, I just think it's so important not to get in meaningless arguments with people that are not operating with the same spirit living inside them. It, it, just, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't have any point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, got it. All right. Uh, Nancy wrote in and said, I have a follow-up question from episode 58, where you explained that marriage is ultimately a picture of our relationship with God. And she asked, what about in the case of a divorce? My husband and I have been married for seven years. This is his second marriage and my first. His ex-wife had asked for the divorce for different issues and one being infidelity on both parts. Although she was remarried when my husband and I met, I struggle with the verses saying that marrying a divorced person is adultery. Am I committing adultery? If so, how do we repent and be forgiven for not knowing better prior to making our new covenant? Yeah, man, this is, what was her name? Nancy. All right, so everybody, if you're driving in your car, uh, maybe pull over, because this is going to be rough. Um, I love you. I don't want to condemn anyone. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be super hypercritical. Here's the reality. You can't un-one what God has made one. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. You you, you can't un-one what God has made one. And so when you get married, the two shall become one flesh. That's, Mm -hmm. that's, That's the problem. So now how do we live in that reality that something has been made one and now legally, physically, emotionally, they're not one? It, it's a challenge, it's a sin. And so here's, here's what I would say is, you can't go back and fix it. Um, you know, there, there's, there, there's no way to go back and fix that. Yes, it was a sin and, and I would confess that to God and I would say, I was wrong, I didn't know better, I was in ignorance. Or if you knew better, you gotta confess that part. Mm-hmm. And you gotta say, God, I knew, I knew what was right and I chose my own heart. I chose my own desires anyways. And it's so important that you own. Remember, Jesus takes Peter to the charcoal fire. You gotta go back to the charcoal fire and you gotta say, so A, I was ignorant, I, did, I didn't know. Or B, I knew and I didn't care. Mm-hmm. And you gotta, you, you gotta be real if you want God to heal you. So here's the good news. Um, it, it's, it's just like the issue of abortion. How, how do you fix that? Right. Because we have a dead kid. Mm-hmm. We, we, can't, we, can't, we can't go back and fix that. So here's the good news. We have the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Mm, and that's why, you guys, I get so discouraged when I look at the lack of intensity for worship. 
on weekends. Mm -hmm. Christians have no idea what they've been forgiven for. Mm -hmm. No idea. And, um, you know, um, divorce is a serious issue for God. It's something that is socially acceptable. Um, and it has led to all kinds of problems. I can tell you that my wife and I have been on the verge of divorce several times. Um, and by the grace of God, not because I'm better than you, not because I'm wiser, smarter, love Jesus more than you, by the grace of God, we've been able to make it work out and we are grateful. Marriage is precious, it is honorable, and we need to understand. And the Bible says uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, God will judge those who dishonor the marriage bed. So how do you avoid that? You repent. And you say, God, I sinned by marrying a divorced person or I sinned by getting a divorce, either out of ignorance or with intentionality. And it's important that you own the truth. Don't mm -hmm. lie to God. And, and if I believe, if you are sincere in your repentance, God will forgive you. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And divorce is unrighteousness. And... Um, Again, that, that I just I just leveled half our church. Mm -hmm. So don't think I don't know that. I love you. I care for you. I'm not here to beat you down, but my job is to tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth knocks you down before it sets you free. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality. And we need to quit acting like there's no consequence for divorce. Look, divorce affects us spiritually. You can't unwind what God wants. It affects us. It affects our kids. Every single kid, every single child is affected by the separation of mom and dad. It affects them. Most of you didn't have a dad. Some of you didn't have a mom. It affects us. It is leveling and, and killing our society. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's, just, that's just a reality. So what do you do? You, you can't beat yourself up forever. You gotta go to the cross. You gotta go to the cross. There's a reason that cross is bloody. There's a reason that cross is brutal. Mm -hmm. And that's because Jesus had to pay the price for your sin and my sin on that cross. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, um, man, my heart goes out to you if you're divorced or you've married somebody who's divorced. Um, you can't unone what God made one. Mm -hmm. You can't tear apart. That's why the Bible says, let no man tear apart. And the reason they said that is because, you know, women couldn't demand divorce except in extraordinarily odd circumstances. It was something very, very odd and very, very rare. Um, but men were the one that left women. And you know, um, God God wants us to be in monogamous, lifelong heterosexual relationships. And we throw away relationships way too quickly. So here's what you do. You can't fix the old relationship. So you've got to make sure this new relationship is dedicated to God. And the best way to do that is to repent from your sin, mm -hmm. from the last, last relationship and start working on the new one and saying, okay, I've got to make this work because you, 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 you can't go back. You, you, mm -hmm. just, you just can't. Um, and some sins, you know, you you can't fix, um, like abortion. You you can't fix that. So what what you need to have fixed is your heart and your soul, and you need to ask God to forgive you of your sin. And man, when we come in and we worship and we praise Jesus, your hands should be up, your tears should be flowing, and you should be grateful because mm -hmm. Jesus Christ set you free from your guilt mm -hmm. if you confess your sins to him. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's absolutely important uh, for us to do that. So some great, of you great guys, question. Yeah, some of you guys probably need to go back and push rewind and listen to that a couple, a couple, one or two times. But just just to make sure you didn't miss it, Pastor Matt really challenged you to confess uh, and come forward. So hope if you're already in a community group, I mean, that's your great context. If you're not, man, when you come to church this weekend, please come forward after service and pray with one of our ministers or uh, pastors who are there. We, that's a great place to get started. Mm -hmm.
Uh, well, okay. okay, and let me say this. Sometimes, though, marriages are so toxic and so dangerous, the church has to um, mm-hmm. uh, push for divorce. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you can't ever get divorced. It's, e- it's even when you have grounds for divorce, it's still sin. It's still a tearing apart. Right. There mm-hmm. still is a ripping of what was made one by God. And it's our words and our, and our, and so, but sometimes you have to do that for the safety of children, for the safety of yourself. Um, but it's still an ugly thing. It's a terrible thing. It's the ripping of two souls that were joined together by God. And so, um, again, so, you know, I, you know, sometimes I advocate divorce. I just did a couple weeks ago, you know, in a situation where a woman was in a very, very dangerous place and, uh, the husband was, Man, maybe, maybe, I don't know, man. Maybe a serial killer. The guy was just creepy. Scared, scared me to death. The guy, the guy was very, very scary. So, um, you know, in those situations, I mean, I was afraid for my safety. Talking mm-hmm. to him, I'm like, okay, you got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm scared as the pastor, I can't imagine what the wife goes through. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, let's go back to the first question. Whatever the church looses, is loosed. Mm-hmm. So, if you're thinking about divorce, go to the church and get spiritual counsel. Don't make the decision on your own. Don't even make the decision with a, with a Christian counselor. Any real Christian counselor that is a real Christian will encourage you to talk to your church leadership yeah. before you make that decision. Mm-hmm. They will encourage you to bring in church counsel. Uh, man, and if you don't have a, a church where you can go to and get good counsel, you're in the wrong church. Mm-hmm. Go find a church, man. We got, we got wise, amazing, gifted ministers and pastors at this church who would love to help you uh, navigate this decision. And man, I gotta say this. I wish I would've said this in my sermon last week uh, of Changed Lives. I came here on a Wednesday night, uh, two Wednesdays ago to pick up my son at youth group. And I met this couple and they said, we've never met you. And she said, this is my husband. She said, we're divorced. And I was like, okay. And she said, since I started coming here, I invited him and we're working on reconciling our relationship. I, I was like, hmm, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe that. So here's a couple that completely were divorced. One spouse started coming, God started to work in her heart. God started to teach her about grace and forgiveness and second chances. Wow. And she invited her husband and here they are in tears because not only has their souls been saved, but their marriage, their divorced marriage is being healed. Mm-hmm. Now that's not the case in every case. It's not even possible if you're married to other people, mm-hmm. but... Um, Man, that's that's awesome, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and I got to see what God was doing, so that was uh, pretty that's cool. So cool. Yeah, I feel like it got a little heavy there, but guys, my job is to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, because we are all going to stand before God one day, mm-hmm. and we need to be ready. We need to be ready. We'll give an account for our decisions, and um, I want you to be ready, and uh, and I and it's my job to tell you the truth. So I love you. I love you all. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, let's jump into, we're going to start debriefing the message. This is week two of the Who We Are series. And before we get into it really quick, can you just tell us why you chose this story of Jesus washing his followers' feet? I know you were really excited to use yeah, that story. I, I just love this story for, for, for many, many reasons. And again, if you're not a Christian, um, let's let's say you're, you're, you're gay and you turned it off and you're ticked or you're divorced <laughs> and you hate me now. This is one of those stories that will compel you to at least consider Jesus. We have, listen, listen to me, there is no known story in all of human history, Greek history, Indian history, Chinese history. We, we, we know of no leader on earth who did something like this. Hmm. In the ancient world, this is unheard of, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody does this. Yeah. Nobody takes on the slave of, uh, the, excuse me, the form of this kind of servant, right? This is the lowest of the slaves. This is the poop job. 
This is the person who white washes poop off your feet. It's disgusting. Animal poop, human poop, trash, blood. You got an ingrown toenail. You got an infection on your feet. The feet, your feet yes. were the, the dirtiest part of your body. And and even bathing didn't clean it. You already needed a special, a special foot bath. Follow up to handle, you know, all the filth that was on your feet. Did they have Epsom salts in Jesus' time? They did have salts, but not mm. Epsom salts. But you know, they, they had ways of dealing with it because think about the odor. It was oh, disgusting. Yeah. So, right, this is a compelling reason to at least consider Jesus. Jesus is different, different than any mm. other leader yeah. who ever lived. He didn't conquer, he served. He served. Mm-hmm. And um, man, I, I just love, love, love this passage. And so read this passage and um, know the disciples didn't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, according to Luke, they were arguing about who 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 is going to be Captain Awesome yeah. in the kingdom. So, all right. So then you talked in this uh, your sermon this weekend about you know when that is happening when Jesus is offering to wash his disciples' feet that Peter refused to let Jesus wash his feet and he was trying to be honoring, but Jesus actually told him like, no, that's incredibly dishonoring. How can we know if the things we're tra- doing to try to honor Jesus may actually be dishonoring to Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I think we always have to be really careful. Um, you know, if something is about yourself, and that's what Peter is being exposed. Um, Peter was willing to watch Jesus wash the other disciples' feet. He was unwilling for his feet to be washed. And so that's just that's just interesting. And so what's being exposed here is Peter's pride. Mm-hmm. And, um, right, pride gives the devil an invitation into our lives. And that's why, you know, Peter has previously been called Satan. Um, because, you know, he's on the fence, you know. <laughs> is he going to be... Uh, um, the rock that the church is built on, or is he going to be the rock that leads us all to hell? I mean, he's one of those guys that has a very, very charismatic personality. And and like a lot of gifted leaders, he can go one way or the other. And I've seen it many, many times. Just because you're gifted doesn't mean you're godly. And so Peter's struggling. And um, I think in this instance, uh, we just have to check ourselves. And so for me, I love to serve people. I really struggle being served. So the act of somebody doing something for me is really, really hard. And, I, and I've got to get over that. And I've got to let people serve me and bless me. And um, it's just really, really hard for me. Uh, and, and the reality is that's my pride. Mm. It's my pride. I want to do for myself. And um, I've had to learn, man, I've got to let people, uh, you know, because I'm denying somebody else the opportunity to do something nice for me or to bless me. You know, I mean, I, I mean who am I to say no, no. Um, and you know, and some leaders I think are manipulative. Some leaders are, um, you know, I was talking with uh, one of our church members yesterday, and uh, my actually my face doctor, and he was talking about another client of his who, you know, is a pastor and lives in Newport Beach, and, and I'm not going to say who he is, but this guy will spend, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars on clothes. Um, that's not me. Mm-hmm. That you know, that, that's just not me. So that's not my issue. Some guys need to learn to say no to themselves and not let people give them extraordinary things because that's to me is inappropriate. You know, when you're living off the donations of, you know, grandmas on a fixed income, you know, so that you can own your own jet and I, that, that kind of stuff to me is just not godly. Mm. Um, I mean, my gosh, you know, uh, cut your budget and fly first class. Jeez. <laughs> You know, right? Humble yourself and fly first class. I mean, what the heck, man? Yeah. And I'm not saying that you have to be poor and, you know, travel around in a, you know, uh, an old car or whatever, but man, just just let people serve you. So, so that's what I would say is don't make it all about you. And, and I think that's what we do with serving. And I even think that's what we do with giving is um, we, we, we need to say, God, I don't want this to be about me. I want it to be about you. And and I just, I just want to make sure that um, my honoring you is... It is from you and not from me. And just know, man, 
our sin and our personality is always wrapped up in what we do. And so I have to ask myself, why am I doing this? Always, I have mm-hmm. to check myself every single time. And so here's three questions I think you should ask yourself. You know, um, what's my motivation? Is this wise? You know, is this evil? So, so, so ask those three questions. What's my motivation? Is this wise? Is this evil? Is this foolish? You know, mm-hmm. those, are, those are great questions to ask and work through that, right? Examine yourself, watch yourself, um, constantly guard yourself because man, we can dupe ourselves. It's why the Bible says, keep me from lying to myself. Mm-hmm. So I think we need, we need to ask that constantly. Okay, so in your sermon, you talked about how God will serve or bless those of us who serve him. And I, I imagine maybe we have people who are going to sign up, right? We're inviting people to join the team if you're here at Sandals Church over these couple of weeks. Maybe they're going to do that because simply because you're telling them multiple weeks in a row, you need to get on board. Other people, maybe because they're like, ooh, I want to get blessed. Is that okay? Sure. Why wouldn't you want to be blessed? <laughs> I mean, I think the motivation to want to be blessed by God is a great motivation. I mean, God wants to bless you. I, and I don't, I don't think that's an inappropriate motivation. I mean, if it was, God wouldn't bless us for what we do, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. God loves yeah. when his children do the right thing and he wants to reward that. I, as a parent, I want to reward good behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully my kids are not doing it for the blessing. Hopefully my kids are doing it because they love me and love what is good. And ultimately, if we love God, we're going to love what's good and we're going to want to do good. And, you know, m- motivation for blessing is only going to last so long. Mm-hmm. But if I want to please God and I want to show God I love him, man, good things are going to happen. And, and I, I just would encourage you guys, you know, people, people judge my life all the time now, which is just hilarious, right? You pastor of a mega church, you know, and you, you have all this money and you get to go all these places. Yeah, I've been serving God for 20 years. You know, none of that happened when I was knocking on doors, getting bit by dogs, having guns pulled on me when we started, right? Yeah, there was yeah. no blessing there. <laughs> and there's rarely blessing at the beginning. And um, I'm enjoying the fruits of my labor of serving God for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So if you want to enjoy the blessings of my life, serve God for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Serve God for 20 years, tithe when you don't have money for diapers. I challenge you, tithe. Mm-hmm. My wife and I had to have that discussion. We did not have enough money for diapers because I was an idiot. We had two big dogs. I don't know why. I was, Man, just every wife, forgive your husband it, it, until he turns 30, right? <laughs> um, I just was an idiot, right? We did not need two big dogs because dog food was a hundred bucks. It was fool. It was a foolish financial decision, and that's why people always say, "Well, I can't afford to die." Tithe. That's probably because you're foolish somewhere. Mm. Maybe you don't need an iPhone. You know, you can go get a cheaper phone. Mm-hmm. You can go get a cheaper plan. You can do this. You don't need Starbucks coffee, right? You you, you can go get Folgers. You you can live off that for a little bit, right? It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, I've followed God and been faithful to God for 20 years and it's been very, very hard and God has blessed me. What did I do for 20 years? I planted seeds in the ground. Remember, we t- I think we had that mm-hmm. last episode. I planted seeds of financial sacrifice, emotional sacrifice, um, physical sacrifice in the ground. So what's growing now 20 years later? Everything that I planted. And so here's the problem. Some of you, you've been planting crap for 20 years mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my God, fix my life. Well, okay. The first thing you have to do is stop planting that seed. And the next thing you have to do is start planting a different seed. And people don't want to do that, right? They they don't want, that's why we want fad diets. I don't want to change my, I don't want to change what I eat. I don't want to change how I exercise. I want a pill. And and that's what people want when they come to churches. I want a pill. I want everything fixed. I want God to change everything about my life, but I don't want God to change anything in my life. And so here's the clue. Here's how God changes your life by changing your life, right? That's how God works. And so, um, you know, um, every, everything that I have, 
is the result of following God and trusting God. All of our blessings, everything that God has given us, um, we're so thankful for. It is it is a gift of God, and I'm I'm grateful for that, and and I enjoy that. So I just want to encourage you guys. Start loving God and say, how can I please God? What can I do to please God rather than please myself? That's how we get in trouble. The world runs around saying, how can I please myself? And we wonder why our lives are falling apart. Like, think about if this is your theme for your marriage and you get married, <laughs> Stephanie. How can I please myself? Oh, gosh. Right? I mean, so my, my kids are addicted to this show called Parks and Rec. I don't know if you guys have seen it's it. And so, yeah, it's hilarious, but they have this saying, treat yourself. You know, oh, they yeah. say this all, yeah, treat, treat yourself. yourself. And I crack up treat because- yourself. If you have that philosophy, even for a day, mm-hmm. okay, your visa is maxed. Mm-hmm. Your life is, ru- I mean, like like your whole life can fall apart yeah. in one day with that philosophy, treat yourself. So what if you just drop that and, and really said what it was, please yourself. Mm. So what happens to my life if, if I go out and I said, today I'm gonna please myself. Whatever I want, I'm gonna please myself. What happens to my marriage? What mm-hmm. happens to my finances? What happens to my career? What happens to my life in one day? What if though I say, I wanna please God? I'm gonna please God today. How's my marriage gonna be? How are my finances gonna be? Mm -hmm. How's my life gonna be? How's my work gonna be? When you please God, everything is blessed. Uh, And if some of you are struggling financially, look at the book of Daniel. Daniel is one of the classic books, okay? We live in a Babylon. America is not Israel, it's Babylon. That's where we live, right? We are in a pagan society who has rejected God. Daniel lived to please God and what happened? He was blessed, he was blessed. And that's the story of the Jews when they are destroyed in Jerusalem and carried off to Babylon. If you know where Babylon is, Iraq. Mm-hmm. So Iraq. So um, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've seen. Yeah, I've been through some struggles and God's taken me through some hardships because I wasn't ready for the blessings yet. And let me just say that to some of you, you're not ready for the blessing. For some of you, the worst mm-hmm. thing that could happen is God gave you a raise because you're not smart with the money you have now. Mm-hmm. So you know, some of you are not ready for a relationship. You, you can't handle your life, your emotions. You're not ready for a relationship. You're not ready for a promotion. You're not ready for God elevating you. The Bible says, humble yourself and in the right time, God will lift you up. Live to please God. So, you know, as you're answering that question, I was thinking about even, even my, my relationship with my own children. Yesterday, my seven-year-old son came in to my wife. Uh, you know how little kids get up earlier than adults ever want to? Yeah. And uh, he saw that our 10-month-old, Cosette, our baby, needed to have her diaper changed. He said, hey, can I come? Can I change her diaper? And <laughs> my wife was like, yeah, of course. And because we just put a video camera in the girl's room, we have the whole thing recorded. So cute, right? And she's all flipping around and getting her feet in poop. And, but he made it happen. And as soon as I got home, Lindy told me that happened, mm-hmm. sent me the video. As soon as I got home from work yesterday, I was like, hey, everybody. And we went to Dairy Queen because I wanted my to say in front of the whole family, hey, Titus, great job. Appreciate you taking the initiative. You know, everybody gets ice cream because of this. And as you were saying that, you know, I'm 100% okay if tomorrow morning Titus saw a, a poopy diaper and decided he was going to change it, hoping he might get ice cream. You yeah. know, I don't expect him to want to change a poopy diaper. I don't, I'm yeah. not, we don't ever want to do That's that. That's not normal. I'm, yeah. okay, I'm okay that if he would do those things, hoping to be blessed. Hmm. So probably same thing for God, who is an infinitely better and more righteous father and wise yeah. than I ever will yeah, be. Okay, but look at what you just did. And everybody needs to pay attention. So you had one child that made a good decision and everyone was blessed. Mm. So, so okay, you say, well, maybe you don't make as much money as I do. You don't have, you know, uh, as many Instagram followers as I do or whatever, but God is still blessing you by being a part of Sandals Church because of my faithfulness. That's what God does. That's mm-hmm. how good God is. God doesn't just bless one child. 
because of obedience, but he blesses all those who are around. I, I said this a couple weeks ago and nobody picked on it. If you wanna be blessed in life, follow a godly leader for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Follow him because blessings pour out on that leader and there's residual stuff, right? Yeah. That falls, mm-hmm. that falls. And um, I mean, one, one of the greatest stories and a lot of people don't get this is, is Jesus, right? He came to minister to the Jews and there's this woman who's not a Jew and she says, Lord, you know, I have this problem. I need you to heal me. And um, he says, no, I've come to my own people and I'm not here for you. And she says, even scraps fall to the table of the dogs. Mm-hmm. And he's like, mm, good point. Mm-hmm. So she understood something about God, right? So mm-hmm. everybody's eating up on the table, but those scraps, man, if they're from God, they're good. And Jesus performs a miracle. It's, it's a really, really powerful story. Mm-hmm. And you should look at that, man. It's it's powerful. And some of us, man, we're not ready for the blessing. Say, God, send me some scraps. Mm-hmm. Send me some scraps because that's, that's good. That's mm-hmm. good. That's good. And I think about other godly guys who've blessed me with their faithfulness, with their teaching. You know, I've been blessed from the scraps from uh, Rick Warren's table, from Greg Laurie's table, right? I get scraps from those, man. And I, and I, I eat those up and I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And so they may be blessed beyond me and that's fine. Man, I'll take the scraps, man, because scraps from, from God yeah. are good, yeah. right? You know, you said something in your sermon two weeks ago at the 8.30 service at Hunter Park that you didn't say at any of the other services when you were talking about your wife's grandma and how she you know, funded your yeah. health insurance for your family at the beginning. Man, when I got up for the offering at the very end, I was in tears at that service just because I was thinking, you know, uh, I've been on staff eight years now, not 20. Um, and when I came on staff, I, I also, with that, got health insurance yeah. for my wife and my family. And we didn't have to have, you know, we have been able to get those blessings and it's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty awesome. So, yeah, no, man. And she was, she was great. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mean, God blessed her and what did she do? You know, she blessed others. And now I've, I'm in a position where I can and bless people. And so, you know, I told my son this, um, we were talking about, he has, he has a young man at his school who, uh, has heart failure. So imagine, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. with that in eighth grade and, and I just told my son, I said, I said, son, I said, you are empowered by me to find out a way that we can bless him and his family. I said, you pray about it, whatever you want to do. I said, you have my complete authority and approval to do something for him. He hasn't come back to me yet, but you know, I mean, man, whatever, awesome. Disneyland, whatever it is, whatever we can do to help this family, because this kid's, you know, missed most of school and it's really affected my son. Mm-hmm. It would kill me if it was my kid, whatever we can do to bless that. And so I'm trying to teach my kid that, man, that that's what we do is we don't just receive blessings, uh-huh. but we're blessed to be a blessing. That's and awesome. so, um, you know, I said this a couple of years ago that there's a difference between a river and a reservoir. Do you know the difference? Waterfalls. Reservoirs are dammed. Yeah. Mm. And so what's a reservoir? <laughs> oh, <right>. A reservoir <laughs> doesn't let blessings flow, right? Uh-huh. A river flows, uh-huh. a reservoir is dammed. And a lot of us are holding back God's river because we're not letting it flow. It, you know, Why would God give you a bunch of money and a bunch of stuff if it's gonna be stuck with you? Mm-hmm. You don't need any more cars, you mm-hmm. don't need more stuff. You know, you need to learn to live for what's true and what's right and what's real. And um, So I was just having a conversation with a guy yesterday, You know, he's got a bunch of Lamborghinis and stuff. And I just straight up told him like, dude, you don't need that anymore. <laughs> you don't need that. Mm-hmm. What you need is a rich relationship with God and you need to learn to be generous in the right ways. And the guy is generous just not yet completely to God in the way what that God would be. could do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, this is a great show. Some of you guys are for sure going to want to share that with your friends and stuff. You can find it online at debrief.show slash 63, debrief.show slash 63, all kinds of good stuff on there. That's right. And if you want to follow along with what we've got going on on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, we are on all of those channels at Debrief Show. So look for the Debrief Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're going to be posting some of those awesome things that uh, Pastor Matt said so that you can share those with your friends. We would love to help you... Uh, 
share that out. You can use those channels to send in your suggestions oh, for the best of shows. Send, yes. Uh, and maybe get Instead one of those questions. debrief coffee mugs from That's Stephanie. Cool. You can also, how do they join the team again? Uh, go to move.sc slash debrief team. Or if you want to send us a message on one of those channels, I'll get it that way too. If, however you want to reach out and join our team or send us best ofs, we will receive that. There you go. And the last thing here is if you want to support Sandals Church and the work God is doing here, not just through the debrief, but through all the other incredible ways uh, that God is doing cool things as we try and create places for people to be real and help them take those next steps. Man, you can text in uh, to support the show and the church. You can text in give debrief to 951-900-4120. It's give debrief, two separate words, to 951-900-4120. You guys, I got to be honest with you. I feel I have not just memorized that phone number, but I also feel like I've embodied it in such a way that I can say it with, you know, like it's not just 951-900-4120. It's I feel like I've been able to bring some life to just a phone number. That's good. I don't know how you guys feel. Maybe apply that description. (laughs) Speaking of things that Christians say. Let's do it. Learning Christian news. I think I'm learning Christian news. I really think so. Learning Christian news. I think I'm learning Christian news. I really think so. All right, Pastor Matt, what do Christians mean when they say flock? Like, oh, I need to protect this flock. Yeah, it means the church. It's kind of silly when you say it that way. But Flock? Yeah, so so the Bible references the church as the sheep, you know. Um, one of my favorite bands in the 80s was Flock of Seagulls. I knew oh, you were I going was there. waiting for that. Someone yeah, had to make I, a Flock of Seagulls I knew reference. it, dude. I, lo- I love their hair, too. You got to go- Google Flock of Seagulls hair, dude. It is hilarious. It's hairspray gone wrong. Pastor Matt, I got a great idea for Stephanie's wedding when you're up there oh. hosting, officiating, doing it all. Flock of, Seas, Flock of Seagulls hairstyles. You could probably pull it off right now with your current look. And a beard. Flock of Seagulls plus the beard combo. Boom! No, because I want to be friends after she's married. Yes, thank you. I appreciate You're that. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, Good I don't though. care about that, so I'm going wig shopping this weekend. <laughs> oh, gosh. 